chapter five of the last ditch by violet hunt this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter five from the lady arles lochroyan hall berwickshire we only got in here a few days ago and i have had such a shock i must tell you at once what has happened i had evidence before i left that venice has been conducting a clandestine correspondence at least one is only a flower in a letter but goodness knows how many more there are or have been and i thought venice was so above and away from that kind of thing one has got used to ilsa and her shifty arrangements interviews and whisperings and messenger boys with notes on the doorstep all day long but the idea of venice having an intrigue of that kind never once entered my head i was always reproaching her for being so standoffish and keeping men at a really indiscreet distance enough to drive them away altogether i mean girls pretend they detest and abhor the other sex and want to enter convents and only go out into society because everyone else of their age does and they've not much else to do to pass the time but they don't think of the fatigue to a mother involved in racketing about day and night from roof to roof in the season with a bored-looking creature who all the time is getting involved in keeping things back from her mother it was ethel who has all along had rather a down on my venice because of her partiality for ilsa whom she thinks but dares not say that i neglect and have done all along for the sake of my younger child who worked me up to making a domiciliary visit she came to me in the morning-room saying that she would never think of reading a letter that was not intended for her but that in tidying up venice's writing-table she had come on an envelope with an obviously male superscription and a letter though it was only a typewritten sheet she was able from its appearance to be sure that it was not a portion of manuscript besides venice has never so far tried her hand at prose it is always poetry with her and even verse liber looks like poetry ethel is so unused to thinking of venice as a person who could be receiving love letters that a few words in this one catching her eye frightened her to death the letter went over the page and she was too honest to turn it over and look for the signature so she came to me with a long long face and said she only thought it right to tell me you know the way they begin i hesitated long before infringing my daughter's rights of privacy and said i wouldn't touch a paper of hers unless i consulted ilsa first if audley had been at home i should certainly have consulted him and there would have been a pretty kettle of fish ilsa when consulted backed ethel plus some spitefulness she wondered if her sister would not after all turn out not to have been so different from other girls perhaps i should find that the white snowdrop had not stood out from the fun any more than the roses and hollyhocks venice once called ilsa a great bouncing hollyhock of a woman and i see it has rankled but all this sort of talk frightened me i confess and made me give in to her whim that i should just see what the letter was more or less about ilsa is ten years older than venice and has flirted from her cradle and she seemed to wish to imply that venice starting a bit later might come to the same thing in the end now ilsa's flirtations are undoubtedly going to land her in old maidhood and though she makes light of her failure to marry and pretends to be content with her court of old fogies and young boys i shouldn't like my little venice to forfeit marriage and children the only normal thing 
whatever a fox without a tail may say venice must marry must have a child or two one a boy for the sake of the race alas that he could not take the title romanil for we are the last of us the best that can happen now is for the house of arles to be carried on in the female line the blood will be there though not in the pretty titles ilsa finished my opposition by adding that if i had seen fit in the past to supervise her correspondence been more drastic with her generally it would have been as well you know laura it was never my way aunt whitley and stoke was always at me about it i never looked over the addresses of your letters or your programmes even and in your case it turned out all right you were plainer and steadier and never gave me any trouble but ilsa was out of my control after she had been presented a month butter wouldn't melt in her mouth till then and her little mouth was as round as a button well she has made up for it since and her to turn round and abuse me for not being particular with her well the long and the short of it was that i crept to the poor child's room like a thief in the night at a time when it had been ascertained that she would be miles away in theobald's road reading her poetry to the poetry bookshop her poor queer room that i think hideous it seemed pathetic now in the light of what i was up to ilsa's room is all flowery and bowery with roses and paroquets perching among them rather french you know like a picture by lancret venice's is most comfortless by her own wish no servant would put up with it it is copied from the room of the princess in a picture by carpaccio hardly furnished at all there is just a narrow little bed you can't turn in and a little mirror you can't see yourself in and a washstand that i should say you couldn't wash in though venice seems to manage there's nothing else in the room but a medieval escritoire bureau thing where there wouldn't be room ilsa remarked for the d for dear in one of my letters well it pleases her for the present but it strikes me as a poor substitute for a husband and on the escritoire i found what they said i should find i can't exactly say that you could have knocked me down with a feather for i'm solid on my feet but i suddenly felt as if my stays were too tight for me i left le Luffels without remembering to ascertain the date what did that matter it was only an envelope with a flower in it addressed in his handwriting which i had seen so often in replies to my invitations for picnics at nauheim and took audley's long screed typewritten by the way i forgot to tell you and got back to ilsa's room more dead than alive for once i wished she had not got a wallpaper of paroquets they seemed to dart forth and peck at me ilsa had to get her salts and chafe my hands before i could talk sensibly and tell her the result of my domiciliary visit i a woman who has defied a mad bull but it is spiritual terrors that break me up ilsa took it laughing good for venice she said i didn't think she had it in her then she began to chaff me about audley whom i had begun now to realize people have got into the way of considering as my property if the lady in the letter is anybody at all and not merely a figment of audley's imagination it is you mother for the last five years he has had eyes for no other woman in this hemisphere at least i admit audley is fond of me why should i fatigue myself denying it but as i keep telling them i am only a respectable woman in a london suburb audley is what arles once called a gratis person in every european court and these foreign women are fairly unscrupulous where their hearts or rather their bodies are concerned i pointed out to ilsa what he said in the letter about her husband 
but papa is political ilsa said you can't deny that and audley says political then i flamed up ilsa you shock me everybody knows that dear old arles never struck a woman save in the way of kindness in his life i was remembering the way he used to give me a gentle blow on the shoulder now and then and a go along with you it was his way of showing affection in the days when he could show it poor dear and i was beginning to feel quite sentimental about your father and to fancy perhaps that i had allowed myself to see rather a lot of audley bar and made perhaps too much fuss over him in the early days before he became such an institution and that arles may have thought i gave him too much of my time to the exclusion of his own claims well it serves me right now when he has gone and fallen in love with my own daughter or has he i have never pretended to know audley's heart is a dark forest indeed where wolves lurk as he's always saying but though venice is venice a pearl of great price it is still rather extraordinary that he should have been thinking in that special way of a girl of whom he has never taken the slightest notice beyond chaffing her for various childish peccadilloes such as untidiness and greediness he says she eats like a pig and can't put her clothes on properly i have always relied on audley to administer salutary criticisms on this sort of head a girl though offended with him which doesn't matter takes it so much more to heart from a man but the question arises can a man love passionately like this letter a girl to whom he has occasionally to point out that she doesn't attend to her hands or that she has left the back of her skirt unfastened or has dropped about a quart of jam on the front of her blouse these things are problems but to business ilsa says that i must on no account let venice know that i have discovered her secret or secrets knowledge is power but only if it is unshared in the case of count le Luffel, it would be easy enough as he is presumably at home in germany the postmark on the envelope is nauheim which looks as if the poor boy's heart was not cured and that he is back again at nauheim this summer and now there again men are queer venice dropped him and was positively rude to him last year the moment he took an interest in another girl a little american who was staying in the hotel so that one wonders he should care to send venice a dried flower even it won't be so easy for me not to catechize audley if he should come back he's been away since january i shouldn't really quite know what line to take with him you will own that it is a little difficult for me laura i don't exactly want but i could hardly refuse to give him my daughter if he came here full of desire having found it possible to smooth away the difficulty he speaks of and as a regular prétendant for her hand no mother could turn him down for her daughter without being suspected of arrière pensée which god knows i have not got but people would be sure to attribute it to me they give him to me as you know and certainly he never to the naked eye appears to look twice at any other woman he is cold but from the matrimonial point of view he is a catch and i don't know that any woman of my age has the right to lock up so much marriageableness to her own profit audley is well born well off well everything ilsa takes a line in this that is distinctly comforting to me she decrees that in venice's interest i must not take this letter seriously but allow it to die down and pass into forgetfulness as audley is sure to want it to do in a short while he doesn't really want to marry 
and probably prefers to keep the spanish lady and me too as paravent to screen and safeguard his bachelorhood and moreover he is too old forty-three and too selfish and heartless to make an earnest romantic creature like venice happy ilsa entered into a long disquisition re audley whom i never thought she had troubled to take in at all she will have it that his apparent unimpressionability and trick of ignoring them all qua women that they complain of is just a blind for his vanity and laziness in his heart of hearts he feels perfectly sure of them the moment he wants them of course being human he does want them now and then a little nor wants that little long like the man in the hymn he is a born philanderer she says we don't realize that or the multiplicity of his amours because he is abroad so much but it is a fact that audley has affairs of a vague sort all over the world hearthrugs he stands on perches all over europe and at least one to which he alludes in the letter regular well-made nest in madrid the letter pooh she says it means nothing except that he is amusing himself by playing on venice's vanity as great as his own and provoking a reaction from her of course in venice's case it is just possible that he does fancy himself in love but if that is so it only means that one or two of his other flames or hearthrugs have turned him down for he is so little altruistic that if one woman makes him suffer he immediately seeks out another female victim whom he can excite and upset and finally torment and so revenge himself on the whole sex generally i told her to stop chipping at audley that i had had about enough of it though it was doubtless a very clever piece of analysis she is bitter i suppose it is her own bad luck in these matters i asked her to quit generalizations and make some definite suggestion as to the course of conduct she advised me to pursue with regard to venice i may as well profit by her ill-gained experience in the hearts of these modern men and women who manage things so differently more coarsely if more easily than their grandmothers did she talked away as if she and i were quite on the shelf which was a concession from ilsa to put herself in the same boat with her old mother though i have kept my hair she advises more liberty all round and especially in the leahy case she says that ida is a nice girl and her mother mad but quite a decent sort and that gerald something or other whom ida is going to marry is all right though he does wear a soft collar and one must realize that everybody can't be a gentleman these days or else the world would stop and we british lose our place among the nations ilsa was putting in a word for herself here for no one could say that every member of her court is up to our standard or anything like it the useful ones certainly are not but as she says they help to make the world go round and incidentally ilsa to live on her allowance why don't we run to money i often wonder in the old days the great feudal lords were able to run up a castle like bamborough or dunstanborough in a week putting on thousands of workmen as thomas of gloucester did for dunstanborough i suppose it comes to this that he didn't pay them as they were his serfs forced labour there's the whole problem in a nutshell it's the wild wages demanded on every hand that keeps us poor as a class except for isolated stars like your uncle henry and the dalruan baby who they say could put us all in a pipe and smoke us and not miss us and bertie corf if he wasn't so mortgaged i dare say ilsa could get him if she liked or the master of cramont quite penniless and always here he never says anything never has nor never will either to propose or discuss the weather but he's so handsome and tall he quite trims the drawing-room and neutralizes the 
well i don't know i get so confused among them all and why they come the one thing i was always sure of was that they didn't come for venice and now all that seems altered if one man can propose then others can and one wonders what will be the next affair that venice springs upon me it adds a zest to life rather and i really think our house-party includes all the most eligible men of london and this little success with audley will hearten venice and dispose her to take up with some man who hasn't got an entanglement though most of them have when you come to business details there's always a tie of sorts something to be smoothed away when a man marries i fancy a man rather likes to admit shyly to some other woman's previous claim on him when he proposes so as to increase his prestige in the eyes of the one he's going in for seriously it is he implies up to her to make him break every tie human and divine to get her he will commit any crime for her sake and walk to her like a juggernaut over a row of prostrate women's hearts i am enclosing a copy of the audley letter i told effel to make me five copies we have no secrets from effel we simply couldn't get along if effel wasn't au courant of everything and if there were mysteries for her one would always be mixing the things she knew and the things she didn't and without infinite trust effel would be a danger and no convenience it would be like having to lock up all your jewellery every time you go out Quote, no address dear lady venice when you receive this i shall be very far away and i want you to know everything it is your right although you have given me no encouragement except kindness at various times you have not made me feel that i have awakened your heart in any way my fair snowdrop i am a damned scoundrel to dare to raise my eyes to you for i am bound though no one here knows it a woman looks to me for life in the eyes of the law of course i am free and always shall be but in my own i am indissolubly tied to her years ago i contracted this obligation towards a woman some years my senior bound to a vulgar pedantic political old brute who neglects her one day he struck her in my presence i beat his hand down and told him i could not allow it the craven cringed and cowered and knocked under that knit us together i took her under my own control until death so dearest you understand that in all our happy intercourse so free so untrammelled under your dear mother's auspices i dared not let myself go or even hint at how adorable i thought you i forced myself to treat you always as a child i made up my mind to control my passion and your beauty and sweetness have been alike powerless to break down the barrier of my honour how often have i longed to take your hand in mine and whisper to you the words that knit two souls together before god and your people i do not think if all had been well that your mother would have put obstacles in the way i could in the jargon of our world have found opportunities for proposing to you scores of times at beardmore or in nauheim would you have accepted me even though renouncing the natural man longs to know you have the cold serious noli me tangere manner which would frighten away any man who is not bold enough and sure enough to break through brynhild's chaperoning curtain of fire i don't imagine many men have dared to tell you they loved you or ask you for le don de la marouse merci as they used to put it in your courts of love yes your parents and guardians may trust you anywhere i should say that if they want to compass you for the detestable thing called marrying you off their plan would be to give you your head 
and allow you to walk alone through all the thickets of bohemia till the icy chill of your reserve was thawed by the warmth of the cheerful irresponsible denizens of it no man in your own set will ever do it we have the unfortunate habit of taking no for an answer we don't ask unless we know we have a chance oh yes you want the bloom rubbing off you then you'll go off as they say vulgarly like hot rolls you'd be so disgusted with the procedure of bohemia that you'll long to return to our more dignified methods your people must learn to treat you scientifically if they want to get any yield out of you i don't fancy you will care to answer this not if i know you so be it try to forget me that will come naturally enough i am absent nor am i one of those that women remember yours g j m a baronet end of chapter five recording by expatriate in bangor maine